Dear Father, thank you so much for this day when we can gather together as your body, as your people, as we can open up your word and know who you are and what you've done for us and how you have moved through history to bring about your redemption plan. And so, Lord, this day as we look at Joseph and his brothers and we see this story, let's see the truth of the story of how you have saved your people and how you continue to save your people, how you use certain people at certain times to bring about what's your plan, but as at the same way you, how you use us for your plan. So, Lord, we love you. We ask that as we read this passage and as we dive into it, that you show us what we need to be, what we need to see, that you teach us what we need to be taught, that you grow us in the ways we w- need to grow so we can serve you always and love you all of our days. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So growing up, one of those formative movies, maybe I watched a little too often, or maybe I probably watched it at too young of an age, was The Blues Brothers. (laughs) Feel free to question my folks' parenting style (laughs) at this time. But if you don't know The Blues Brothers, it's a story about Jake and Elwood Blues, and Jake gets out of prison, and and they, uh, they find out that the, the orphanage that they lived in was um, go- needed money to pay off to use back taxes. And so they decide to get the band back together and they have this big complex plan and they leave wreckage in their w- wake all so that they can save their home they grew up in, this orphanage. And a constant refrain for this whole movie is, we're on a mission from God. It doesn't matter if these are completely amoral characters and that they really have no concept of who God is probably, but they keep on saying we're on a mission from God. And that being on a mission from God drove them. It it directed how they were going to do this and and it it really provided that singular focus for the whole movie that they were on a mission from God. And if People feel like they're on a mission from God. You can see this singular focus, and it kind of explains everything else. And when we look at the story of Joseph, we see a guy who clearly saw or clearly believed that he was on a mission from God. And that actually changed how he saw his whole life. It changed how he saw things in his past, and it changed how he saw where he was right then because he knew he was on a mission from God. And we see this as we look in his story, as he interacts with his brothers. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 42. And we'll be reading sections as we go through the story of him interacting with his brothers. But just a quick recap to see where Joseph is at this point. We heard about Joseph, how he was sold into slavery by his brothers, how he ended up in Egypt, and how he ended up in prison in Egypt, but then he was raised to being right under Pharaoh. He was taking care of the whole country, and he was providing for the country in the times of plenty and in the times of the famine that are hitting. And so the story picks up in chapter 42 of Joseph being in charge, and it's the second year of this famine, and he's providing food for all these people who are coming in and buying from Egypt. And so, chapter 42 of the book of Genesis picks up like this. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. 
Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies, and you have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest, honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to him, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, are your, ser- we your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is I, it is I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You should go not from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether this is truth in you or else by a life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day Joseph said to him do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine to your household. And bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why the distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen, so now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. And he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and replace everyone's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. And so the brothers leave Egypt, and they go back, and as on their way, they discover, hey, we have the money that we paid for this grain. Something must have happened here. But they end up back in Canaan, and they eat all the grain, and they report to Jacob what had happened. And Jacob said, well, Benjamin's not going down to Egypt because he's scared that he might lose Benjamin, just like he lost Joseph, he thought. But as happens, the famine continues, and they run out of grain. And so the family, so Jacob finally relents and said, okay, go back. And if you have to take Benjamin, take Benjamin. And so they send ben, he sends Benjamin with the rest of his brothers back down to Egypt to buy more grain. <clears throat> and so they buy more grain, but this time Jacob puts in his little silver cup into Benjamin's sack, and they leave again, and they discover that, and the servants race after him and say, hey, you stole this cup. And so they're marched back before Joseph, and they're trembling, they're scared, they, they think they're about to lose Benjamin, which is the one promise they made to Jacob that they wouldn't do, is that they would not let their youngest brother get into trouble. And so they're begging for his life, and so the story picks it up back up in chapter 45 at the beginning, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and it says this, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so the Egyptians heard it, and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. 
And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of, of Gossen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, your children's children, and your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, as my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father to all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you have seen, hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his uh, brother's Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. And then they leave. They go tell Jacob what happened, and they bring back the whole family. And and as we see in chapter 46, it says, So Israel took his journey from all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob sent out from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones and their wives, and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all of his offspring with him. His sons and his sons sons with him, his daughters and his son's daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. And it lists all of who came into Egypt. And so, uh, picking back up in verse 26, it says, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt and all who were his descendants, not included in Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt, were 70. And he had sent uh, Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Gossen, and they came into the land of Gossen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Gossen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to uh, Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I'll go up and tell Pharaoh, and I will stay Say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have <clears throat> for been keeping li- keepers of livestock, and they have brought their li- flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls to you and says, what is your occupation? You should say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Gossen, for every shepherd is an abomination to Egyptians. So that's a long story, and we covered, we glossed over a lot of de- the details. There's a lot of in and out, outs and what have you in the story of Joseph and how he deals with his brothers. 
And we have seen throughout these, these weeks leading up to this that we could see a lot of motifs and a lot of um, themes that are built within this story about how God is preserving his chosen people, how God uses Jacob to preserve his, golden pe- his chosen people. And we see how this is actually a fulfillment of one of those first dreams that Joseph had about how all of his brothers and his family would bow down to him. Well, here they are bowing down to him as he's the ruler of Egypt as they come for grain. But what are we to take away from this story of Joseph and his brothers? How are we supposed to understand this and how it relates to us? And I think we are to understand this too in this way, that we are sent to be a blessing. That's how Joseph understood this. He, he understood that he was on a mission from God, that God had sent him to Egypt to be a blessing, to be a blessing to the people of Egypt as he provided for them in the famine, but also to be a blessing to his own family who betrayed him, to be the blessing to his family and preserve them and save them from this, that he was sent to be a blessing. And that's our reality as well, that we are sent to be a blessing. We're sent out in this world by God to be a blessing to this world that he's made. That we're supposed to share who he is with people. That we're supposed to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That we're supposed to love people and take care of them as God has commanded us. That we are sent to be a blessing. And the only way we can truly realize this and and live out this reality is if we have a God perspective on life. When you look at Joseph, we see that he had this perspective, a God perspective. That he wasn't just focused on his own plight or his own circumstances, but he was able to take a step back and realize how God had been working through all the ins and outs and the twists and turns of his life. They had a God perspective. And I'm willing to bet that Joseph grew in this perspective. That he probably didn't have this perspective right off the bat when he was a young boy of 17 sold into slavery. He probably experienced despair, but he stayed faithful to God. But he grew in this perspective as he, as he went into Potiphar's home and he took charge even as he was, he was uh, falsely accused and went into prison. He probably was growing in this perspective of how God was using him in these certain locations. And then finally, when he was raised to power in, in Egypt, and he was able to start uh, using this position and this power to save people, especially his own family. I bet he saw more clearly this perspective about how God was using him where he was. And we see clearly how he had this perspective in Genesis chapter 45, verses 5 through 8. If we look at those verses again, we see how clearly he says, talking to his brothers. He says, Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine had been in the land for two years, and there was yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for you many survivors. That he knew that he was on a mission from God, that he had this God perspective, that God had a task for him, a purpose for him, where he was to save these people. Think about it. Through all he endured, now he's standing on the other side of it, through being in slavery, through being falsely accused, for being in prison, and now being in power, he now could see maybe a little bit clearer God's plan for him, and he realized God had a mission for him. That his whole life had been leading to this point, that he was going to be used by God to save his family. 
He could have a God perspective that God had a plan for this. And so now, now standing before his brothers, seeing them, seeing how this place, this opportunity that presented himself, he knew how God was going to use him, and he was confident in that. That he could step into this mission and be confident that God had a mission for him, a purpose for him, to save God's people. And we ourselves need to cultivate this God perspective that Joseph had. That while we'll never probably be the rulers of Egypt, and we'll probably never be in a position to provide for our families grain in a famine, where we are, how God has placed us, where God has placed us in our lives and how he has led us and prepared us, we can realize that we can be on mission for God, that God has a purpose for us wherever we are, and that we need to lean into that and cultivate that perspective. I say cultivate because that does not come naturally to us. Naturally, we are blinded by the circumstances or the events that are going on right here, right now in front of us. We can't look past them. Whether they're good or bad, joyous, or it put us in distress, we are so caught up in the now that we can't really develop that God perspective. But we need to kind of do what Joseph did here and take a step back as he can look back on all of his life, he can look back, back on all these experiences and realize how God has been at work. And we need to look beyond the present right now and see that God has a plan and that God's bringing his redemption plan to fruition and how he's using us right where we are. We need to cultivate that God perspective. This also means we need to be intentional, actually see and believe that God has a mission for us, that God has a plan for us, that we need to see our life with that singular focus of being on mission. For if we have a mission, if we believe that we've been sent, or if we believe that we have a task that we're supposed to do, it narrows our, our view, it focuses us. It allows us to live for that one thing. A small example might be if you've ever had a goal to be more physically fit or to lose weight, it narrows your focus and you go for that. So often we fail, I know, I've been there. But it narrows our focus and we live for that. So at the beginning of this year, around February, I did this six-week challenge kind of thing. And, it's, and, and you know, I only mention that because it was this is a diet plan and this exercise plan, but it was for six weeks. And I was like, I can do that for six weeks, right? But it narrowed my focus. It, it allowed me to live all of what I did geared towards that thing. And it really was. It was whole encompassing, you know, how I ate and, that, and I was really hungry. So my whole mind was just focused on six weeks. I can do it. But it allowed me to focus on that and live for that. But in the same way, we're supposed to cultivate this idea that we're supposed to live on mission that is not just six weeks, but it's our whole life where we kind of gear and change and orient our whole life to live for God no matter what, to live for Him in our everyday life that we go through day by day. That we'll be intentional to live on mission because we realize we're sent to be a blessing, to have this God perspective on life. And if we have a God perspective on life, it allows us to have, a, have godly responses to people in our life. Just look at Joseph. Because he had a God perspective that God sent him here, and he can look at his brother and say, God sent me, don't you worry. He sent me here. It wasn't you, but it was God. Because he could have that perspective, he could then have a godly response 
to his brothers. Here he is. Joseph could have repaid his brothers for all the harm they did him. That he was, they were standing before him and they were trembling and they were scared because they realized, oh no, the brother we sold into slavery now is ruling over us. And Joseph could have repaid them exactly for what they did for him. He could have had them locked up and put into slavery himself, themselves. He could have had them thrown into pit like he experienced and been in prison. He could have just ignored them and said, hey, go away hungry. He could have charged outrageous prices on the grain. He could have done all those things. And yet, how does he repay his brothers? With mercy, with love, with provision. Because of his God perspective, he could now have a godly response. And he could actually pay them back. Because as we know, payback is a blessing. In God's dynamic, payback is a blessing. For Joseph looked upon these brothers who did not deserve mercy, who did not deserve his love, and they got what they didn't deserve. They got care. They got provision. They got mercy. And in that way, when we read the story, we see the gospel being played out. Those who don't deserve mercy, get it. Those who don't deserve grace, receive it. Those who don't deserve to be even acknowledged, get love and care and provision. For that is the truth of the gospel. That rebellious humanity who do not deserve God's love, rebellious humanity who have gone astray, who want nothing to do with our righteous God, we get what we don't deserve through Jesus Christ. His love, His grace, His mercy. Adoption back into His family. That when we look at the story of Joseph and we see that gospel truth being played out, we have to realize we are his brothers in that story. We might want to cast ourselves in the role of Joseph, but we, when it comes to God and it comes to the gospel, are Joseph's brothers, the undeserving. But yet, God's love give us, gives us what we don't deserve. God's love gives us what we need and takes care of us and provides for us. But in Joseph, we see this truth of this paying back evil with good, that his godly response, a godly response that's spoken about again and again throughout the Bible. Proverbs 20, 22 says, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. This idea is being developed that we don't pay evil for evil. We actually wait for the Lord, and the Lord will take care of it. Paul, bringing back a lot of a lot of these references in Romans, Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And then later on in Romans 12, 19 through 20, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For as written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the godly response that we see Joseph displaying in this story, this account, that he repays the evil his brothers had for him with good. 
that he responds to them with a blessing, that he sees his real-life enemies, people who sold him into slavery, and he gives them food to eat. He gives them drinks so that they can satisfy their thirst. That he provides for them in a time of famine, and he's able to do that because he knows how God is using them at that moment. And we ourselves need to have this godly response as well. And we can only do it because we know how God is using it. And we can only do it because we know how God, through Jesus Christ, has already saved us and has already provided for us and has already washed out away a magnitude of sins so that now we can turn around and we can see people in need and we can see people who wrong us and respond with that godly response. That we don't leave things hanging over people so we have power over them, but yet we forgive them and we move to love them and we move to care for them and we move to provide for them because we know we're supposed to have that response that God has commanded us to that. Because of Christ and how he has forgiven us, we are able now to turn to others and forgive them and love them and have mercy on them. How would that look in your life if you were able to start living out this godly response? How would relationships change? How would relationships at work and in family and wherever you are and this daily interactions change as we are able to let insults slide off our backs because we know who we are in Christ? If we're able to respond to people's hatred with love, with care, with provision, we are sent to be a blessing. And that starts as we start having a godly response to people. The truth is that God sends his people. He sends them to be a blessing. He sends them for his purposes. We've seen this throughout the whole book of Genesis as we've been studying it. We've seen, we have seen how he sent Abraham, how he blesses Abraham to be a blessing to the whole world. He sent Joseph to be a blessing to Egypt and to be a blessing to his brothers. He sends his prophets to be a blessing to his people as they speak his truth. And finally, it all leads to the climax of the story when he sends his son Jesus to be a blessing as he saves people from their sin, as he brings them back into relationship with their creator. But then Jesus turns around and he does what? He sends us. When you read the Gospel of John, at the end of the Gospel of John, John 20, 21, we see Jesus look upon his disciples and he says, as the Father sent me, so now I send you. And he sends them out. Every gospel, all of the four gospels have a version of the Great Commission. The Great Commission about how we're supposed to go out and spread the word. And that's John's version. His most famous uh, Great Commission, of course, is in Matthew 28 when, when Jesus tells his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them by everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age, that the very nature of, of our relationship with Christ is that he saves us, he brings us to him so that we can now be sent out as his chosen people, as his family, as his brothers and sisters, is that, that we can be a blessing to the world. That we are sent to be a blessing. 
that God has prepared us his whole life, that he puts us in situations, that he puts us right where we are to be sent by him to speak his good word, to speak his and share his love, to share his truth of who he is, to proclaim the gospel to a dark world. Think about wherever you are, you have been sent there by God for a purpose. That you really are on a mission for God. To share and proclaim His love. To be honest about His truth. To share and proclaim the gospel, the good news about how people can have salvation in Christ. We are sent to be a blessing. That might look different in different people's lives, but the, but the same things are common and true. That we stand on the Word of God and we proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ to all who would hear. That we are sent to be a blessing. It's amazing that we can read Genesis and we see the beginning of God's people and how God is moving through time and history to bring about his salvation plan and we know how the people descend from Joseph and how he provides for them and so that God's people can then come out of Egypt in the book of Exodus and how God's people can establish the kingdom of Israel and then from this kingdom of Israel we see these pictures of this kingdom of God that these reflect how God is the ruler of all and then from those we see the line of the kings is, is fulfilled and finally comes completion in Jesus Christ himself as he comes to rule our world and to save us from our biggest plight which is our sin and in, in that truth and in that truth of the gospel he then turns around and he sends us out to proclaim that to every square inch of this globe that people may know the truth of who he is and respond to him so my brothers and sisters you are sent join me in prayer lord we love you we seek 